0: Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nish Nikolic, and today's guest is Dr. Celine Gelgich. She is talking to us about her passion of anxiety, in particular obsessive compulsive disorder. But she does work with whether it's social anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, post traumatic stress. Uh, we really get into some of the methods in which she she looks at. Treating or giving providing therapy for anxiety, and most interestingly, I think her use of virtual reality uh, in her clinic in Melbourne. I think it's something you're going to really enjoy. I certainly found it very interesting and fascinating, particularly these new advancements in the VR space and the different scenarios that can be used uh, to help clients with exposure uh, and. Making some more visceral changes by having that visual representation in the therapy room. Hopefully, you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Big thank you, Celine, for coming onto the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really lovely receiving the invitation.
0: Look, I'm really excited to, to talk to you about you know, this world of anxiety. I think it's a space that a lot of psychologists are interested in and I've got my own reasons why I like anxiety. I know that there's a few spaces that particularly have a, you know, a place in your heart and interest space. Uh, Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about, uh, maybe let's start with yourself and and your interest in psychology, not psychology, in anxiety.
1: Yeah, in terms of how I got into it and ended up working in that area.
0: Yeah, yeah, why anxiety?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think anxiety is such a huge part of our lives you know like it's it's there as a warning system it's it's present for a lot of people almost every day. It serves a function, and we can't really escape it as much as we want to <laughs> so I think you know with that experience of of also being human in a sense of um, uh just you know in a sense of um experiencing something like that it was really fascinating to while studying to go okay what is actually going on here and what are the mechanisms behind this and really trying to understand the nuances of anxiety and also being really intrigued by anxiety being a universal experience but how it's still so different for every single person and its footprint is very different for a lot of people and even though some people might experience similar sorts of symptoms, when we think about different kinds of conditions that exist, whether it's social anxiety or a phobia or um, generalized anxiety, um, you know, it's it's still fascinating that no two people will still be the same. And the other thing that um, was fascinating for me was recognizing how common it is amongst other conditions as well. And so. And, and how much it impacts our behaviour. And so wanting to understand a little bit more about it and learning more about it through placements as a student and all that kind of stuff, I guess, kind of led me down that pathway um, to keep working with it. And to, it's a lifelong understanding so far. Well, career-long, I guess, but also lifelong for your own self. Like, you know, it's about learning... Um, about what your own triggers are and, and how to manage those and, and how to deal with them along the way. It's been really fascinating. And there's never been a dull moment either <laughs> through that process. Can you talk
0: about how, how you view anxiety in terms of, uh, you know, what, what is it? You know, that Obviously, we, we, we use it fairly commonly. Uh, I think it gets misused uh, immensely these days.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Or you know we mislabel other feelings as as being anxiety. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about you know what is anxiety and and you know uh, what would maybe be the appropriate use of of, of that word as opposed to you know, stress is probably the, the
1: yeah the, that's the, the right. common
0: one that should be yeah. replacing it
1: yeah so anxiety is. It can happen in two different ways. We can feel anxiety in our thoughts, where, for example, and but we can also feel anxiety in our body. And a lot of the time, if we were to really kind of tease it apart, a lot of people talk about stress being something in the mind and anxiety being in the body. So anxiety being more of that physical response that you get, you know, that real you feeling it in your body. You might feel sick in your tummy. Your throat might uh, your throat might get tight. I'm blending my words. It's probably too early in the morning for me. <laughs> um I can go
0: with tote. It makes, <laughs> makes sense to me. You know, maybe we're a little bit. Uh, Irish.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, okay, so yeah, your throat might feel tight. You might feel tightness in your chest. A lot of people feel. Like struggle to breathe sometimes, or they get short of breath, or they might feel a bit dizzy or lightheaded, or they might start to heat up a little bit, or they might tense their muscles. There are so many different things that happen in the body when someone feels anxious. Um, but it's really interesting that so many, like what you mentioned, so many other emotions can, like, can contribute to anxiety. So, for example. We might be feeling really ashamed about something that we've done and the way we evaluate that might then start to make us feel really uncomfortable and anxious about that situation and so we might mislabel it as being anxious when really it's because we're feeling ashamed and so we can mislabel in that way very much so. And so, like, if you were going through treatment, one of the things that you would want to focus on is labelling it correctly, Um, So recognizing that you're feeling anxious, but that's the end point. Then going backwards and going, what led me to that part? Actually, it was because I was feeling ashamed of something and then I started feeling anxious about it. Or I started feeling uncertain and doubtful about something and then I was feeling anxious about that. Or I actually started feeling really sad about something and then that led to anxiety. And so... Anxiety is almost like a warning sign that something is not quite right. And so when we're feeling emotions that are really uncomfortable, like doubt or guilt or shame or sometimes disgust even, or if we're feeling um, uh, sad about something or frustrated or angry, that can often lead to physical feelings of anxiety Um, because that's our body's way of recognising, hey, you're not feeling right, there's something going on here and almost warning us about that. But then because we're feeling it in our body, we get sidetracked because that takes our attention and we end up focusing on those physical sensations. And then we start feeling it in our mind as well through our thoughts. We might get lots of anxious thoughts, lots of worry thoughts, lots of stress thoughts um, that then... Kind of perpetuates the cycle as well. Um, So it can, there's so many layers to it. But I think, yeah, we can definitely get sidetracked by the physical feelings and sensations and totally miss all the other stuff that's been going on. That's equally important to pay attention to. But I think one of the ways of really learning about anxiety and learning how to manage anxiety is to actually recognize what's triggering it, whether it be an emotion or something else that might be happening, like a a situation or a thought, a stress thought that might happen or something else that might be occurring that's triggering those feelings.
0: Mm. My understanding has been, uh, in in trying to summarise what what you're saying, is that when we uh, are exposed to something that triggers uh, a a response inside us, we would most generally uh, call that... uh, a stress response
1: yeah, yeah um, absolutely. because it's it's
0: it's you know our body going into a yep. very um, functional and adaptive response of yep. saying I need to do something about this and you know yeah, the something threat, there's a threat there right. which yeah I need yep. to either you know attack um, you know, yeah. which is that fight response
1: yeah, that's run away, fine.
0: the flight yep. response
1: yeah and then
0: post that usually comes uh, the anxiety response, which is kind of thinking about uh,
1: yeah.
0: what has happened and continuing to feel that stress response
1: when yeah, the stress is far. no longer
0: there, and yeah. it's interesting because there's a functional response there. For example,
1: mm.
0: you and I were walking through a forest and we encountered yeah. a snake. Yeah, we would immediately get uh, a stress response. Um, yeah, but interestingly, even if we then uh, you know, turned around and and started walking in the other direction. We're in safety for mm-hmm. a period of time. We would continue to feel that stress response, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting because we're, we're kind of yeah. saying the stress is not there, but we still mm-hmm. feel the stress response.
1: Yeah,
0: and we kind of call that you know within the the um, you know functional sort of uh, stress, if if I can mm-hmm. call it that. Mm-hmm. But it might be that next time I go. Um, uh or even think about going for a bushwalk i might be mm-hmm. at home and i'm worried about you know, tomorrow's event of going for a bushwalk and whether i'll encounter a snake mm-hmm. and i'm starting to get anxious and worried or i'm worried about my children being in the backyard that there might be a snake in the backyard and
1: Absolutely. it's starting to yeah. kind of
0: ruminate worry um, and i'm feeling yeah. all similar things inside my body um, yeah not with the same level of exposure um, as if the snake mm-hmm. was there, versus probably mm-hmm. a little bit less if I'm in my living room. But it mm-hmm. starts to kind of be there, and that's that kind of loop. It's all very complicated and layered. Is that absolutely? Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, it's a very nice example of that um, process that I was talking about earlier in terms of providing. Okay, so this is what happens. You know, when there's a trigger, absolutely, exactly like what you said. When we get triggered by something we start feeling it in our body, we start evaluating it in a certain way, it then influences our behaviour. But emotions don't end after the event ends, right? It just it continues, it lingers because we have, a, we have a prefrontal cortex in our brain which keeps those thoughts going because we're evaluating, you know. Um, but then at the same time, based on previous experiences where also our brain's looking for different situations and scenarios where we've been afraid to and, and thinking about oh this might have imagined this happened or if what if that happened or what if it happened like this time at this other thing or when you watch this documentary and this scary thing happened in terms of the snake um <laughs> what if that happened and so our brain likes to catastrophize and go to all sorts of weird and wonderful places which perpetuates the feelings and the response that you were describing Um, and then, yeah, we start to then think about our present day experience and going, how can I keep protecting myself? Because it's very much a safety mechanism. Its main job is to keep us alive and to make sure that we're still around and all that sort of stuff in terms of triggering that fight, flight and freeze response as well, because some people will be, will freeze as well. Like that's also something that happens to some people, um, very much so. It's a really neat example um, of the function. And I think a lot of people, you know, when they present to treatment and we talk about anxiety in that way, often talk about, but there's nothing actually scary happening, you know? And I think people get caught up in, in this aspect of something actually scary needs to happen, but it's also how we evaluate things that also can impact on, um how anxiety can get triggered and I think in the modern day world when we're not always exposed to snakes and tigers and other things thankfully (laughs) um we we forget too that we can feel threatened just by existing in society you know in terms of comparing ourselves to other people which a lot of people can do and fall into the trap of on things like social media and stuff or um like even just our own family environment can be difficult sometimes, um, family dynamics, um, relationship dynamics. There are so many other ways that we can feel threatened in the world. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I've i uh, noticed, uh, you know, in, in, in practice how often, and it's not mm-hmm. even necessarily just about anxiety, but yeah, uh, quite commonly in, in the space of anxiety where clients will come in and they describe something feeling different and yes. the evaluation of different yeah. Yeah. is that yeah. different equals disorder or yeah. different yeah. equals wrong different yeah. equals fear and so yeah. we we know that usually that's quite protective for example yeah. if i yeah. feel my body and i notice a lump and i go that's mm-hmm. different
1: mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there is some uh, value and merit to go and have you know medical attention to to examine that um,
1: that's exactly right yeah having yeah. said
0: that if if the lump happens to be a small lump on my face and mm-hmm. i'm you know 18 years old i can yeah. probably
1: <laughs>
0: notice that yeah. there's several um you know probably dozen uh, yep. uh, lumps on my face and it's not something that is different
1: yes you know? that's right Yeah. so i think
0: is this evaluation that you talk about is, is so important. Otherwise, we get into a space of, you know, I'm, I'm anxious about being anxious or I'm, or I'm
1: yeah, kind
0: of right. I'm relating to my inner skin, my insides yeah. mm-hmm. uh, with fear. I'm worried about how mm-hmm. I feel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so.
0: So uh, is different something we should be uh, alerted? too, if I'm having different thoughts or I'm having different Yeah,
1: situations. I think so. Like it's kind of a bit of a, like you said, a bit of a, um, a little bit of a warning, like a red flag maybe, but then putting it into context, as you described, is really important to then go, okay, I'm feeling this, but what are some other things that are going on? So just being curious about the experience as opposed to um, getting stuck on just that. And running like when you're sometimes our mind runs away with us like a bullet train and goes to worst case scenarios. And so I think it's about recognizing that process and trying to pull it right back and going, okay, I'm noticing something that feels a little bit different, but what else is going on? What's the context? Um, and it might not be physical, like the example you provided, it might be thought based. You know, you might be evaluating a conversation that you had with a friend. Um, and thinking, oh, did I offend them? Did I say the right thing? Or maybe I should have said this or I should have said that. I think a lot of people can relate to those sorts, of, that type of thinking. Um, or, when you know, when a friend that regularly text messages you back and doesn't for a little while and then going, oh, does that mean they don't like me anymore? Have I offended them? i done something wrong. Rather than allowing your mind to kind of run away with you, coming back to, well, you know, they usually text me back fairly frequently, like fairly quickly. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they're at work. Maybe something's gone on. I'll just keep waiting um, rather than reacting. So just kind of being curious about your experience for a little bit longer um, and trying to gather more of that evidence um, before letting that influence your behaviour. Yeah.
0: So in some sense that, that, that initial reaction of, my goodness, I haven't heard from them. Mm-hmm. is, is uh, a natural and adaptive yeah. Yeah. Um, response, you know, and, and that could yeah. be that that whole example of, you know, someone went to the shops, they haven't come back, it's been 10 minutes, have they had an accident? You know, the,
1: yes, yes. The classic
0: scenario or the one that yeah. you described, you know, they usually text me back and we're, we're kind of yeah. texting each other a lot and then yeah. haven't heard from them for, you know, 20 minutes, what's happened? Did I say something wrong? yeah. And you are saying if we can kind of suspend judgment, not let the mind, not just follow whatever the mind's coming up with because the mind's a, a storyteller. It, it really is. It fills in blanks. Yeah. Um, it likes to just, you know, uh, complete sentences.
1: Yeah, um, and plays on our weaknesses too in terms of, uh, I mean, like I guess uh, let me rephrase that. It plays on our vulnerabilities. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's not um, – I always have to catch myself using the word weakness. I'm trying to change that. Um, It really plays on our vulnerability in terms of when we're feeling insecure about something or uncomfortable about something. Um, Our mind really likes to pick holes, like not pick holes. It really likes to kind of go there and use that as a way to convince us that that's the reason why something is happening.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because uh – that's kind of exactly what anxiety is. It yeah. is looking yeah. for um, survival.
1: Yes. Which therefore yeah.
0: means the opposite is it's looking for threats and. and yeah. Whether the threat is, I mean, even even us uh, as professionals, we have to kind of always consider what's our language, you know. And weakness yes. is, is is not, yeah. you know, the word that we want to use anymore. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in in language. At the same time, it's so functionally useful to be accurate. Uh, yeah. And we go around and around and around, and you know, maybe it's not a bad thing so long as we suspend judgments uh, yes. and examine it and look at it. Yeah. It's, it's quite That's fascinating right. if you know if we were to. To um, yeah, actually have a recording of of all the conversations we have,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we we would technically, you know, be going, my goodness, you know, that's not quite <laughs> quite valid and correct. But interestingly, <laughs> yeah, managing that, you know,
1: yeah,
0: it, there's a helpfulness about not reflecting. It's, it's, yeah,
1: it,
0: it's quite interesting because I know that you know in, in our work we're often mm. wanting to do some self reflection. Yeah. there's such great value in in um you know just accepting those things yeah. and 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 focusing and on present. the
1: present.
0: Yeah. Um yep. rather than Absolutely. going backwards so much.
1: Yeah. I often say to my clients, sometimes if you've got too much time to think, your brain will think of something for you. And it's never a pretty experience. <laughs> it's never a fun experience. And Everything is, everything is good in moderation and thinking is not that different. And so in a sense of having space for self-reflection is incredibly important. It allows us to grow. But if we spend too much time in self-reflection and reflecting about experiences as well, our mind can go to all sorts of weird and wonderful places and sometimes really scary places. And it's in those moments recognising, okay, this actually isn't helping me anymore. There's a helpful thinking and then there's unhelpful thinking. And so if we're heading down unhelpful thinking territory, recognising what those flags are and being able to bring yourself back to the present moment is incredibly important. And following through with what you want to do, what's important to you as opposed to what anxiety is telling you to do. Um, I, work a lot of, I work a lot with people with OCD. So then a lot of people are also competing with those sorts of with that style of thinking. And so I often say to clients, what is it that you, what's on your agenda as opposed to what's on OCD's agenda and following through. So it's bringing in those values in terms and using that to inform behaviour as opposed to um, reacting like we talked about before um, and giving in to those unhelpful thinking patterns. Um, otherwise, we can get stuck, you know, and ruminate and go around like, so go around in circles in our thinking And we can feel like we're doing something because we're thinking about it, but it's not really getting us anywhere. So I think that present moment awareness is really, really important to help break that cycle.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that fascinates me with, you know, this obsessive compulsive experience is uh, how aware people can be about the misalignment of the thoughts
1: Yes. Uh,
0: and the feeling. And so there's really yeah. an understanding, for example, that if there's a thought which says I need to turn the light on mm-hmm. uh, and off mm-hmm. uh, with a, you know, a multiple of six applied to it. Yes. Uh, and if I don't, something bad is going to happen. And, and logically there's a real you know, strong yeah. appreciation, understanding that that's that's not likely to occur. Yeah. Having said that, the misalignment is the mm-hmm. internal world, which is that feelings mm-hmm. world uh, mm-hmm. responds mm-hmm. to that feeling um, yeah. of of uh, you know, the snake being in the room. If you yeah. don't do it for six times, you know. And so yeah. if you do do it yeah. for six times, the snake is not there. If yeah. you. Don't do it for six times, then the snake mm-hmm. is there, and and yeah. I think most of us, you know, would would uh, uh, yeah, step around, walk around, avoid the snake uh, in, mm-hmm. in in that sense. But it's hard for someone to reconcile their thoughts and their feelings when they're in conflict; mm-hmm. um, they, yeah. they're not in alignment. Um, it's it's yeah. so fascinating because it's so absolutely. obvious with OCD, right? It's absolutely, and clients
1: will often say too. that. Yeah, one of the things... Oh, my cat's come to say hello. Um, <laughs> one of the things that um, my clients often say to me is, I know this doesn't make logical sense, but in that moment I just can't help myself and because it feels so overwhelming and it feels real because they're feeling it in their body. They're feeling that response in their body. Um, and so I often say to them, um You know, we kind of talk a little bit about what happens in the brain at that moment, and it allow it makes clients feel so empowered because they're like, okay, this is something that's happening to me. It's not something that is um, that you know I'm not broke. It's not because I'm broken or anything like that. So they are able to kind of step away from that evaluation that they're making about them being broken or sick or some other thing. Um, that can be really, really um, uh, self-deprecating, I guess. Um, And so, you know, we we talk about this process of, which kind of ties in back to the anxiety process that we were talking about before of, you know, when we're experiencing anxiety and we're really feeling it in our body, there is a function, like the emotion centre of our brain, the amygdala really takes over and sets off this fight, flight, freeze response but it hijacks the brain completely, and so I talk about how that then shuts down the logic center of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, which also is responsible for things like attention, concentration, decision making, um, logical thinking, so reasoning, all of the stuff we would use when we we're at work or if we we're at school or you know just kind of thinking about day to day stuff. Um, Our personality kind of sits in there a little bit too. And so when that all gets hijacked and gets shut down, it's like turning that offline. Um, We lose the ability to think rationally and to think clearly and to evaluate more objectively. Um, And so we're acting then purely from an emotional aspect, from an emotional perspective. And I often say, that part of our brain will talk to its next door neighbor which is our hippocampus which is which holds our long term memories and will look for evidence so it will go through all our memories and look for evidence of like what did this person do last time they were in this situation they kept flicking the light switch right and so our amygdala learns through that behavior that this is what i need to do to stay safe every time i flick this switch nothing bad is going to happen and because we're doing it consistently and repetitively, the brain loves repetition and consistency. Um, it, gets, it becomes a cycle. And at the same time, we trigger reward pathways in the brain so then we're like um, doubly feeling assured that we're doing the right thing. Um, and this process then just continues. And so I often say to my clients, what we need to do is we almost need to retrain and break that like we need to break that cycle and retrain the mind and the amygdala to not respond in that way every time this trigger occurs what we're wanting to do is create a neutral response every time these triggers occur but what we're doing needs to happen like through exposure therapy needs to occur consistently and repetitively and when clients hear that they often feel so assured that okay i physically cannot think about logic in that situation That actually makes sense. Okay, there's something I can do about this now. What do I need to do to make sure that um, I'm I'm as present as possible so that my mind's not getting hijacked in that sense? Um, And it can feel really empowering, I think, to kind of work through that process of um, what um, what is in our control and then when that choice gets taken away from us you
0: know, in terms of behaviour, yeah. Just to uh, use an example so we can somewhat workshop yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's, let's just uh, do a hypothetical using yeah. the, you know, the six uh, digit of needing yep. to you know, switch the light yep. on and off. And let's yep. just assume it's the only thing that someone's dealing with. But, okay,
1: yeah, yeah. It's causing yeah.
0: <laughs> great, great grief because you yeah. and I know that doesn't usually present that way. But no. what, would, what would an exposure um you know approach uh potentially look like because there's, there's so many ways that we could
1: oh uh, absolutely approach that
0: but let's just maybe you know talk that through workshop it a little bit
1: yeah for sure so a lot of the time like i'm um, it's important to be as collaborative as you can with your clinician that's treating you um and so what i often do is discuss with clients what like first of all we want to be as specific as possible when it comes to light switches so Sometimes for some people, light switches in the bathroom might be a little bit more triggering than light switches in the lounge room or light switches in their bedroom. Like there are different associations that are made in different parts of the house um, for some people. And so firstly, you want to understand, and that's just an example. So firstly, you want to really get a good picture of what is going on um, in terms of... um, level of difficulty because what we prefer one of the first things we want to do when we're doing exposure is establish what we call a hierarchy which is like a step ladder of degrees of difficulty and so we want to be able to go okay if we're focusing on light switches what are the different grades of difficulty amongst the light switches and for some people there will be grades of difficulty and for other people they'll all be the same so if we're going to keep it really simple we'll go with okay let's just say they're all the same Um, and if it's multiples of six or if it's six times that this person is doing it, then one thing we might do is go, okay, how can we break this down a little bit so it feels uncomfortable because what we want to do with exposure therapy is trigger a client on purpose, expose them to the thoughts and the feelings that they're experiencing. So that's the exposure part. And then the other part of treatment is called response prevention. So the whole thing is exposure and response prevention. So we trigger, we expose to the thoughts and the feelings, and then we prevent the response. And the response, which is an unhelpful way of coping with the emotions, is a compulsion, and that's flicking the light switches. So if we want to prevent that response, we can't take it away all at once because our clients have tried that loads of times. Um, and f- have felt really, really anxious because of it and uncomfortable. And so then give up um, and feel frustrated because they're like, why can't I stop this? So we go, okay, let's make this a little bit more manageable. So we expose and then we might go, okay, can we flick the switches five? To- can we flick the switch five times instead of six? So we might play around with the number of times that it's done. So you're and still if doing a compulsion. Yeah, yeah. I
0: can just quickly jump in. What's yeah. interesting is, is you know the selection of what we do, you know, because yes. we, we are able to obviously hierarchically go down from six to five to four. Yes, but yeah. we can. We can just even potentially um, even question the number altogether. Where we say, "Well, let's mm-hmm. go to six and add mm-hmm. one." So yeah. now we're at seven. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can do anything, right? Or yeah. it might be in the speed. In which we flick the lights on. Yeah. And off. Um yeah. There's there's so many variations. This is why I think what you said at the very yeah. very beginning in setting this up is is really trying to understand it and be collaborative and and and, you know, for those you know who might be listening who are experiencing something similar, uh, mm-hmm. it's really being curious and, and trying to understand.
1: Absolutely. So not, for
0: me, um, so I can untangle yeah, it. But I'll let you continue because I did jump yeah, in. Yeah, no,
1: no. No, that's okay.
0: Choose five, you were saying.
1: Yeah, and there's some of the what you've provided are some of the other examples um as well in terms of um what um we can talk about what, what I was going to mention after I finish the example. Um absolutely. So um Really, you can play around with the number. So you can go down in gradual steps. The other thing you can do is you can delay. So this is what we typically do. You can either reduce the number altogether one by one or you can delay the onset of the compulsion. So, for example, if the feeling kicks in and the trigger is there or the urge is there, then you can then go, okay, can you wait for a minute or two or five or however long the client can sit for or the person can sit for? Before flicking the light switch. So, really, the idea is to sit with discomfort because the new theory on managing or in treating OCD isn't so much about waiting for anxiety to come down anymore. It's really about um, what we call creating new neural pathways because we want to inhibit the existing response. And this is through the inhibitory learning model, which is coming out in research recently. Um, as opposed to waiting for habituation, because habituation, which is just the idea of getting used to something, kind of like when you walk into freezing cold water and your body gets used to the temperature, you've habituated to that and then you can kind of enjoy the water and swim around and all that sort of stuff after freaking out the first time because it's freezing cold. Um, But you know, typically we used to think, okay, through repeated exposure, people would kind of get used to this idea that actually their feared consequence hasn't occurred, which we still do think, and it still does occur in that way. But what research was noticing was actually um, we, not all clients get used to their exposures, not all clients habituate and Sometimes habituation gets in the way of treatment too, like um, clients uh, become preoccupied with waiting for their anxiety to come down and it's like, why is my anxiety not coming down? And so the inhibitory learning model um, is a bit of a fancy word, but really what that means is doing exposure therapy. So we're still doing ERP, exposure and response prevention, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to do it consistently and repetitively to create new brain pathways to inhibit the old OCD pathways Um, and what that means is through consistency and repetition of doing the new behaviour, it's almost like creating new habits for yourself but that are helpful and adaptive as opposed to going down the OCD pathway. And so when you're doing your exposures, whether it's flicking light switches or whatever else it might be, um, absolutely there are so many ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, what we need to do is make sure that you're doing it consistently and repetitively so that you're creating that new brain pathway to eventually override the old ones or the OCD ones. Um, And so clients will often then go, okay, there's a reason why I need to sit with this discomfort for so long Um, because it's like being in rehab in a sense when people have to learn to walk and talk again, you know, we need that consistency and repetition to make sure that our brain is doing what we're wanting it to do um, in that way, so it takes time as well with exposure. Yeah.
0: The reason why I was such a, a um, uh, well, why I fell in love with the acceptance and commitment therapy is, is mm-hmm. its real understanding and approach uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the idea of willingness. You know, the, yes. Yes. Yeah. Space of you know in the service of, let's just call it functionality, we would usually yep. put in a value there, for example, yeah. in the service yeah. of freedom or in the service of independence or in the service yeah. of your lifestyle, um, yeah. would you be willing to sit with discomfort for, right. you know, uh, three minutes before yeah. you flick the switch, you know, on and off you know, yeah. several times? Yeah. You know, there's there's an understanding that, um, yes, yeah. uh, exposure does, I, w- I would probably say, you know, still does probably a large portion of the work. Um, having mm-hmm. said that, if the relationship with exposure for the client yeah. um, changes, which it yeah. does, uh, yeah. we then start to, to evaluate, you know, our feelings and start saying, why is it there? It shouldn't be there. And then we entangle again and we're, we're back in the same space. And, and I think... Functionality keeps changing because our mind keeps changing the parameters, mm-hmm. the goals, the the, oh, the, the goalposts, um, the rigidity. All the time. You know, yeah. models keep coming back in, and so I think yeah. there's a real lovely aspect of of someone being willing to you know, partake in, and and in actual fact, accept absolutely. some pain, yeah, some absolutely. discomfort, um, yeah. uh, because the truth is. Uh, I still find it incredibly uncomfortable getting on Ooh. an aeroplane. Um, yeah. I I find this difficult, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though I enjoy it so much. Yeah. It, it my my um you know, heart raises and all those sorts of yeah. things. You know, for the listeners yeah. on of today's you know episode, yeah. I actually started the intro and I messed mm-hmm. it up, and I'm like, oh, stop! Let's 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 do this one again. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was probably my nerves showing yeah. up. So it's yeah. a, it's yeah. it's uh, a relationship with us. I think that, that, that functionality and willingness and, you know, uh, my, my, totally. my love of act comes from there really. Yeah.
1: And we, like, I'm a big fan of it too and always incorporate it into the work that I do. And I always, so the phrase I use with my clients is you have to be, if you are reluctantly willing to go through with this exposure, that is the sweet spot to be in and when clients ask you know how long will this take the answer I always give is it depends on how willing you are to open yourself up to feeling uncomfortable because you've through like when we're dealing with OCD we in a sense have learned to a degree and some of it's biological too but you know there's a large part of learning involved too where we're, we're kind of sending ourselves this message that I can't cope with these feelings. I can't cope if I don't do X, Y, and Z. And when our family and partners accommodate that behaviour as well, as my, even though they're not doing this in explicitly, the subtle, subtle message of that is you're looking really distressed right now. I actually don't think you can cope with this, so I'll accommodate this behaviour. Um, and so, you know, The other thing that's coming out in research is that we're learning more and more that actually OCD might be more of an emotion dysregulation difficulty as opposed to a thought-based difficulty. And so we typically, like I know in my work, I bring in a lot of act-based work and principles in terms of opening up to difficult emotions, opening up to doubt, sitting with uncertainty, leaning into it. Um, and learning more adaptive ways through mindfulness-based techniques to help sit with that discomfort rather than feel like you have to do the compulsion to help you deal with it. So I think it's a really lovely way of incorporating ACT because it's very ERP-friendly. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: It maybe gives us a little segue there. Selene, I, I promised myself that I would ask you a little bit about the uh, VR uh, uh work yes. that, that you do because it's something that i'm interested in and obviously yeah. as technology improves i can see there being an incredible opportunity yeah. that yeah. Uh, you know uh opens opens up for all sorts of um yeah. psychological practices that we can do in virtual reality totally. can you tell yeah, us about absolutely. what you're doing um in your clinic
1: yeah, so we use virtual reality as part of exposure um, in a really fun and cool way. So basically um, it was the program that we used was developed by psychologists in Spain um, and so their platform is purely for um, anxiety, OCD, um, There are some things to do with eating disorders on there too. Like the list is endless. And so we use it basically as as another tool to help us do exposure. So a lot of people struggle with imagination because sometimes when we're doing our exposure, we might even break it down if it's too overwhelming to, as a stepping stone, we might use people's imagination to kind of get them started. To think about not doing something or to if it's a phobia for example like they might imagine themselves sitting next to a snake or something like that um, or a snake in a cage or some or whatever else it might be but not everyone's good with imagination Um, or sometimes people have worked through all the other types of exposure like looking at pictures or watching documentaries of snakes or some other thing um, and then they might we might then they might then have to take a trip to the zoo and look at the snake enclosure or something like that, right? Um, where they they're kind of finding it hard to bridge the gap between moving from the therapy room to then doing things in real life. And so, if that gap feels too big, we bring virtual reality in to help bridge that gap because it's a really nice stepping stone between doing things that are in the therapy room that are a lot more removed and then doing something in real life. So even though clients put the goggles on or the headset on and they're like, I know this is fake, but my body is telling me that this is very real. (laughs) And so they're kind of, again, which is another way of um, another form of exposure. And the beauty of it is and what I really love about it is I can see on my computer screen what my clients can see in their headset. So I can ask them for feedback in real time. I can coach them through something um, or I can teach them a coping strategy and really kind of see what's happening in that moment. So it's a really lovely tool to use to help bridge that gap. And that's how we use it in our clinic as well.
0: Look, I just can't wait for 20 years to go by or whatever it is where I can have a client in the room. Put yeah. on some goggles. I put some yeah. goggles on, and yeah. and we can be, for example, at a uh, a party. Um,
1: yeah, and
0: yeah. you know, I might be you know someone of their age in in, yeah. in, in their a uh, virtual yeah. reality. Yeah. We can do skill acquisition of you know, having Absolutely. a conversation where they can screw yeah. it up, where they can approach yeah. me and introduce themselves, yep. where I can go Absolutely. out
1: and ask yep. them awkward
0: questions. We can sit in awkward silences yes. and yep. doing yep. all of this stuff. Or, you know, might be a presentation mm-hmm. in a meeting at, at work,
1: yep. uh, having yep. a difficult
0: conversation with a partner or a family yep. member.
1: That's right.
0: It becomes endless because it, does. it really does. People's lives in safety. Yeah, yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. It's be a game
0: changer. I, I think yeah, it really of how is. we do psychology is going. Oh, to, totally. Um,
1: it's going to be so good.
0: It's going to be yeah. a, a, at least a, a major shift in. Yeah, um, I, and I, I think also major shift in. Clients being able to integrate learnings from yes. therapy into real life, yes. that, that visceral learning yes. Um, yes. is going to and be it's out immersive.
1: Of yeah, because it's so immersive too and triggers all the senses, except for smell, maybe. But because like, um, it's so triggering and immersive, it's really, really a, a, a very strong learning that occurs and really solidifies those neural pathways. And it's like I've often thought similar to you in like while using the VR and and there are social situations, like you can have your client sitting in a pub, having a conversation or being at a bar or sometimes even giving a speech and that kind of stuff. So there's room for all that too. But I've often thought to myself, it would be really much more amazing or immersive if we could do, and, and you know, I was often, I've often thought similar to yourself of going, imagine if I could be there with them, or if this could happen, or if that could happen, and it's just going to be really amazing, especially with this whole metaverse thing that people are talking about now as well.
0: Yeah, look, I think I, I think the you know uh, possibilities are endless, and and it'll yeah. certainly change you know uh, gestalt work and chair work yeah. um, in in yes. a very different way. We don't have to worry yes. about you know. Yeah. If if your you know, mother was sitting in that chair, what would you say to her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: It's incredibly, has such power. Uh, oh, it's, I mean, it's incredible! It form, really let is. alone yep. if, if yep. we can somehow upload a photo of mum's face and and yep. and you know physique and the whole thing, so it looks you know yep. indistinguishable, much more realistic,
1: your, yeah, Reality, yeah. You know, yep.
0: It's, yep. It's a photo realistic. It's yeah, it's going to be that
1: stepping stone amazing. of the imaginary stuff to real life, like if it feels too scary to have that confronting conversation to actually then help bridge that gap, but still be safe because it's still you like, you know, you know it's not you know it's not real, but it feels real. And it's because it's so immersive as well. Um but you've got that level of safety there too. It's gonna be wonderful. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to 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 that time to see. Um, Just to see the, the 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 shift, because you know, yeah. psychology in, in in many ways we have benefited so much from science. You know, in, yes. in the research and understanding, yeah. um, you know, our responses better. Doing double blind um, mm-hmm. uh, tests and um, experiments. Uh, there's so much that we've kind of added. But I think mm-hmm. this book this will really move it so far because we all kind of know like even, even things like emotion focused therapy yeah. which you know is so powerful because it yeah. really tries to tap in mm-hmm. um, you know to our let's call them our vulnerabilities our fears mm-hmm. our, our our greatest secrets um, yeah. our emotions
1: yeah
0: uh, you know, th- this will kind of be an almost like an easy gateway to enter into those Um mm-hmm we're going to need a lot of training, I imagine, in, in, in how, to, how to do this because I can see someone like myself, I want to jump in and you know, go to the heart of it straight away. Um, yeah. You know, we'll really need to kind of think about how to do this and plenty of science yeah. we need to follow, but uh, yeah. I'm so excited. And, and it's amazing yeah. that there's people like yourself that's, you know, taking, you know, these technologies that have been pioneered in, in Spain and, and applying them here.
1: Yeah.
0: Can I ask you for for, for our listeners, how can people get in contact with you, um, find out more about your clinic, the VR work, um, your your interest in in obviously anxiety and OCD? Mm -hmm.
1: So, the clinic that I work at is Melbourne Wellbeing Group, um, down here in Melbourne, um, obviously. Um, although not really. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au is our website. We've got a wonderful team of clinicians who all know, who all work with anxiety, who and as well as OCD, as well as other conditions. We're very lucky that between all of us, we're kind of spread across the DSM, if that makes sense, um, in our niche area. But at the same time, because we get a lot of OCD referrals. Um, We've established a reputation for ourselves. Um, All our clients have been working with OCD for a while um, as well. So they each have their own interest area but also equally love working with clients with OCD. Um, And everyone also uses VR if it's appropriate um, to some degree. Um, Not always, um, but... You know, certainly if there's room for it, our clinicians will raise it and sometimes clients will come and be like, can we use the VR? Um, and so we then incorporate it into the treatment plan um, if we think it's going to be helpful. Um, yeah, so that's where you can find us. We're also on social media like Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Um, for clinicians that are interested, if I'm allowed to, I run a lot of workshops on OCD. Um I might, which you can link to through my page on the Melbourne Wellbeing Group website, or they can just go to au um, and find out some more resources and some more information on anxiety and OCD if they want to. Um, yeah, so that's where they can find us.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. You'll have to keep me up to date with any. Uh, advances that, that that come up in that in that space i know that it's, yeah, it's all sure. very very uh in many ways it's quick but i think the application's slow it's hard to
1: yeah, um, yeah. you know
0: it's a lot of uh, r d that needs to go into
1: totally. each of those
0: and really i'm, I'm assuming yeah. th- these are kind of set scenarios at the moment that that, that are mm. set up um, and as that uh, library gets bigger and bigger it's going yeah. to be endless we've for, yeah. yeah
1: we've had it for a couple of years And it's interesting at how much it's changed already. Um, It's already become easier to use, less clunky. um, But at the same time, the scenarios that are there are really fascinating in terms of what you can toggle as the person who's running the program. Like you can play with time of day. Like if someone's driving, for example, and is worried about going over bridges or driving through heavy traffic, et cetera, you can make it rain. You can make it day or night. You can put passengers in the car that are annoying the driver. You can do all sorts of things already. So it's, it's there's a lot of versatility. But it will get even better as the years progress and as the library gets bigger too. Yeah, for sure. And
0: processing power as well. The closer yeah. we get it to photorealistic, yeah. the yeah. the um
1: yeah
0: you know, the more power it has.
1: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be like gaming consoles where, you know, used to, I mean, I used to have a Sega when I was growing up. Um,
0: <laughs> Sega Master System. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant.
1: Yeah. With the little things that used to just press into the little console and it was like so um, the graphics were awful but great for their time. <laughs> I had
0: an Atari um, which was even before that. Um, yes. Awesome.
1: Yes. I remember those. They were kind of, they were still around a little bit when I was growing up but like Sega was the thing. Um, but now some of the graphics, like when my, I watch my nephews play some of their games and I'm like, is this a movie or something? Like, And they're like, no, we're playing FIFA. And I'm like, oh, my God, this looks so realistic. The graphics are just amazing. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. And, and and that's what we have to look forward to, that, that yeah, we'll, we'll get to a scenario where the computing yeah. powers there, the R&D, obviously, you know, these games yeah. are, you know, some of these gaming companies are multi billion dollar companies. Absolutely. Right? But yeah. uh you know, yeah. I, I think I think, you know, uh, medicine, psychology, yeah. you know, the world yeah. of health, you know, we'll, we'll invest over time and, and make Absolutely. something pretty special. So
1: Yeah, it'll be amazing.
0: Uh, fantastic. Well Celine, I know that you're uh, busy. We could talk for, for, for many more hours on this. Do keep keep us updated and, uh, you know, really appreciate you. your your time and, and opening up our eyes to, to those different aspects of anxiety and, and, you know, the OCD world and, you know, particularly the R as well. So I appreciate your, 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 your time today.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much for your time also. And I hope the listeners um, can take away some little gold nuggets from this podcast today.
0: (laughs) They most certainly will. Thanks again.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review, subscribe, share it via social media and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources and just lastly if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team develop your experience and get into some exciting work come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out i'd love to hear from you